Podcast! It's a concert cast time! Yeah. It is! It's our favorite time of year. I hope everyone was listening to our first episode because then they will have been ready for that. That's right. You did warn them. And if you were not ready, ready. then I suggest you listen to every, every podcast episode. and give us five stars. That's right. <laughs> so we have a concert coming up. So excited. Sunday, October 17th, 3 p.m., North Kansas City High School. And it is, as people will know from listening to the they better see episode one, um, our sim- what I'm calling symphonic Shakespeare. How Shakespeare is depicted in orchestral music. Now, as I said earlier, if we did every piece where Shakespeare was depicted in orchestral music, that'd be like a five-hour concert, maybe more. We just don't have that kind of time. We don't. So I have I have. Pared it down to the ones that I want to do um, and I think are, are interesting to do. And um, so we're going to tell you what's on the program. Well, let's, let's get going. You know, we also did not mention um, our concerts are free. <laughs> so our concert Sunday, <laughs> October 17th, is free. Well, there goes my idea of like charging a dollar and just saying it was a new, you know, post-COVID. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. All right, so um, so uh, we have mostly tragedies, <laughs> and like like this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! The fact that we haven't start, stopped to start over just to tell you everything about the way we do our podcast. That's right. So we're just going to keep so going. Everybody right? likes. Keep going. Keep rolling. Right. Push okay, through. so the program's going to start with Verdi's uh, Prelude to I, I don't know if I should say this the Scottish play because you know they don't say his name the actors don't say his name. Especially not on stage, but I think since we're in your house... Yeah, we're not on stage. I, I can do okay. So, Prelude to Macbeth. Ah. And so, Verdi, um, you know, wrote 20-some-odd operas, and, you know, he responded to that, you know, ethos of Shakespeare. And he, he set several Shakespearean plays in operatic form. Um, this opera, which uh, obviously is based on Macbeth... It's like his 10th opera. So, it, you know, it, it took him a little while to kind of discover this. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it was successful, but then it kind of went dormant for a bit. <laughs> and then they did it um, when they, uh, they did it uh, a second time uh, in a French version and it didn't go very well. But then early 20th century, people are like, this is awesome. And it's, it is awesome. So, um, you know, uh, when a lot of our music, a lot of the Shakespearean music that we're doing comes from composers not in Italy. Um, Verdi's our only one. Because generally, like, Shakespearean plays, are Shake- well, that was not the norm for the subject for Italian operas, right? So when right. Verdi starts to move into this area and he does Othello, we're doing an Othello, but not Verdi's. Um, and he does Falstaff, which is kind of based on the Mary Wives of Windsor. Um, it... Uh, uh, was unusual. It was like, oh, this is very interesting. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> during this podcast and during the concert, we're not going to, I can't summarize <laughs> all these Shakespearean plays. <laughs> there's, not, so, there's not like a 25 minute like, no, uh, Cliff uh, Notes version. Jim, first. No, Jim Notes. Um, so, but what I will talk about for the prelude for Macbeth, which is, and, if, and, and this is a great, you know, Refresher if you need to learn your Shakespearean plays. But this is Macbeth, and um, it opens with the scene with the three witches. And the three witches are 
Um, so Macbeth is a general and Banquo is a general and they're in this, you know, you're kind of on the ends of this battlefield and they encounter these three witches and they're clearly talking about the future and they, they um, address uh, Macbeth as the Thane of Cardor, Cador, Cador, which is not what he is, right? It's not his current title. Um, and then Banquo, who really wants to be king, they, they will not call king, but he's the progenitor of kings, right? He, his line will ultimately become king. And so it's just this super creepy, like totally creepy, mysterious encounter with these three witches. Um, and that's how the, how the play begins and how the opera begins. So the prelude, so this is not like an overture. This is not 10 to 12 minutes of the rousing, here are your favorite arias you're going to hear. This is four minutes of creepiness. This is four minutes of, like, just within four minutes, like, the dramatic changes are, like, you know, and it, it does such a great job of, like, capturing the creepiness of that scene. And, you know, as Macbeth unfolds and Macbeth's trying to figure out, you know, like, is this really going to happen? Am I going to become king? Am I going to have to do violent, horrible things and all this stuff? I mean, this, this four, four and a half minute prelude sets the stage for the entire story to unfold, which that's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, was a, that was a lot right there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, translating that into music alone would be... Right, exactly. Translating the recap, much less the actual... Right. So, and, and you know, that's the other thing that we're going to see about some of these. Some of these are very, like we, were, uh, like we talked about in episode one, you can, you can see, like, there are themes that represent different characters and how they interact. But for some of the bigger stuff, like transitioning here to Hamlet, it's very difficult in a 10-minute... Uh, piece of music to capture everything, right? So a lot of times composers tend to broad brush, right? Tend to be a little bit more 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 general about what they're trying to do. So the Overture to Hamlet. So this is by a composer that I had very tangential knowledge of, very little knowledge. A Danish composer named Niels Gade, G A D E, Romantic period composer, um, and. Uh, he, there's a lot of little connections here. So he, you know, wrote music, was going to do the whole thing, right? And he sent his, he sent his first symphony off, and it was rejected. Um, and then he sent it to Felix Mendelssohn, who were performing some of his music on the same concert. And Mendelssohn thought it was great. And Mendelssohn conducted the premiere of that symphony, and the public loved it. And so he got... Um, uh, fellowship and he moved and he taught uh, this is Niels Gade taught at a conservatory he worked as assistant conductor at the Gavond House Orchestra a very amazing orchestra in Europe he actually connects the conducts the premiere of Mendelssohn's violin concerto like arguably one of the most famous violin concertos mm -hmm. right he was friends with Schumann and then you know you come to find out that this guy like taught and encouraged Edvard Grieg and Carl Nielsen so like the next generation of like the Scandinavian composers and I'm like I had no idea. Um, and he was a prolific composer, but he only composed that, like, one concerto. He, he really focused on concert overtures. So this overture to Hamlet is not connected to a production. It's not connected to a play. It's not connected to, connected to an opera. It is just a concert overture dedicated to his friend, an actor, who played the role of Hamlet. So that's how hmm. he was renowned. And of course, Hamlet is the Danish prince, right? So, right. yeah, obviously. So <laughs> there's there. And so this actor was like super well known for this. And so he, that's how he dedicated. So, so the, you know, the play, which has, 
um, emotional conflict after emotional <laughs> conflict after emotional conflict. Um, there's no, no composer who's done a Hamlet can cover all that. So uh, this is a great example of the more atmospheric approach, but it does open and end with a funeral march. So like clearly, you know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that part because most people I think know that part. Right. <laughs> and then in the middle, it's going to be a little bit more, um, general. Um, you know, there's another interesting thing that's tying this program together and that's like, um, Wagner's presence in a way. So Niels Gade knew Wagner's music and you're going to hear some horn calls in Hamlet that you're going to be like, mm, that's a little Wagnerian. Um, so that influence is in there. And, you know, there's some conjecture like that the second theme is Ophelia, you know, cause it's the contrasting theme, but it, that's pretty questionable, but it really doesn't matter because the whole piece as a whole just does such a great job of capturing the, the Hamlet conflicts that it, it works well. So I've really enjoyed um, preparing this piece and, and getting to know a composer I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just works so really, really well. So. Yeah, it's an interesting idea to take, like you said, instead of trying to do this conflict, then that conflict, then that conflict, then that conflict, but rather take... The entirety, like the, say, idea, like, the idea, the idea yes. of conflict, yes. flicked, and then mm-hmm. make it make that yes. the you know overarching, so that like you said, it doesn't. Uh, and and we're also kind of moving durationally, right? So the verity is like four, four and a half minutes. Ha- the overture to Hamlet is like it's not like a, a fifteen minutes, right? It's probably about eight or nine, right? So I mean, so and then we get to Dvorak's Othello, which is. Which is big. It's yeah. it's it's a, a good fifth, probably fourteen fifteen minutes. And so Dvorak, which many you know, New World Symphony, Symphony Number Eight, Cello Concerto, you know, Dvorak's a pretty household name. This work is not done as much as it should be. So most people know the Carnival Overture, mm-hmm. um, and then he wrote a wonderful um, concert overture. So Carnival's a concert overture, and a concert overture again freestanding. That doesn't come from a play, doesn't come from ballet, you know. He wrote another one called In Nature's Realm, which we will actually be doing next year. And then Othello, and he envisioned envisioned all three of them as a uh, as a triptych, like all three should go together. Now, so one was it was really nature, life, and love, right? So um, in nature's realm was nature. Um Life was Carnival, because if you know Carnival Overture, it's really active. And yeah. then Othello is love, but it's like, it's not, it's not good love. <laughs> There's some issues there. Um, so, um, uh, uh, so Dvorak comes to the United States in 1892, and he comes at the bequest of a lady who's wanting to do a music school in New York, and it kind of goes nowhere, and there's a whole, whole thing to do with that. Um, and when he gets here, uh, I think within like 10 days or something like that, he conducts a concert of his own music. All three overtures are on there. He does it. He, I could, one of the first things he does in the United States is conduct these overtures. Now, again, um, this is a concert overture, so they're really um, um, the form. You the form of this um, is pretty traditional, so that makes it hard to make it programmatic. It's hard to make it hard to do that idea. And he really, for this one, he really. Um, you know, the tragedy of love turning into jealousy. This it's the bad love stuff, right? Othello's love is is, you know, the idea of that, you know, 
the same life force that gives you joy in nature and society leads to tragedy and can turn to jealousy. And that's, a, that's Othello right there. There's your cliff notes of Othello. Um, but what I do know and what I saw was, um, doing a little research, Dvorak actually notates in the score, like little notes from Othello. So he, even though it's hard to take a traditional um, overture form and match it up programmatically, he was working hard at it. Like he was like this, you know, here represents this, these two and this. So, you know, it's not like it's specific enough that I can, it's, it's again, it's that, the gist of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't have time to do all this, but here's the major themes and here's where I think they're, where I'm putting in my score. Right. Well, it's a little bit of the why, right? Just yeah, a little, yeah, you know, it's right, not, yeah. not saying like, I'm trying to tell this big story, mm-hmm. but if you, you know, if you know the story, then understand that this is what I was doing here so that you conduct it accordingly. Like, but what, yeah, that's right. And this was the one that I, we had, that I had that moment in rehearsal because there's, you, you like, like you talk about closing your eyes, like you can clearly close your eyes and hear Othello's jealousy growing. Like you can hear the menace. You can hear that it's going to turn into evil. You can hear that. Um, there, and then there is, you know, just like we have Ophelia and the other one, we have Desmond, Desmond, Des, Desdemona. I always have a hard time with that. Desdemona. Um, so the contrary, right? The idea of that. So, you know, it's, um, uh, so I guess I can give spoilers, right? <laughs> As well. So uh, Othello's only, <laughs> it's only yeah, around think, how long? So Othello, yeah, past so that. Othello kills his wife, and then he kills himself. And this is easily the most violent music Dvorak has ever written. I mean, it is, it is, um, it's amazing as we come to the end of this piece. Like, yeah. what, I would wonder, this, we, I, I you know, you know me. I, I I think of things as we say this. I do not want to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> but if but yet you're opening the door, I, I am going to open it. Just and people can ponder. It. And then if you happen to know, you can write in. But if you look at if you look at what you're talking about with the triptych, you're right. Nature and um, life, and life love. and love, mm-hmm. and why you would pick Othello for love for love when you I mean. The rest of Shakespeare available, even if you were just wanting to keep it in Shakespeare, there's plenty of other things available. But even, yeah. you know, but anything else, everything would be available. else, yeah, yeah. So the fact, like, that's mm-hmm. you know, yes. listening to the three of them is, you know, they, they're clearly, I think, his view on these things. I wonder yeah. went like what went what, wrong. Well, yeah, like what influenced that, where that was the yeah. like, the type of love that he wanted to to portray to portray as one of these three pillars, basically. Of that is a know, great existence. question, and I should dig more into it. It could be. That obviously there was a trend of Romantic periods, composers doing Shakespeare, and he wanted to subscribe to that trend, and for some reason liked Othello, um, or maybe there's more going on. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly plenty of tragedy in the Romantic period in oh, general. So I mean, it could have been just you know that was the way the world was at the time. Yes. But like I said, not something I wanted to dive into. But if someone knows, well, let's keep the tragedy train going with Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> So speaking of, so arguably one of the two most famous pieces on our program. Um, I think most people have, well, if you most people know the Tchaikovsky uh, Romeo and Juliet concert fantasy overture, um, it has been used in movies and TV commercials, and um, it's everything. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Yes, yeah. It's everywhere. Um, and so uh, you know, I mean, I remember when I think I was in middle school, late middle school, maybe early high school. We watched a super bad movie of Romeo and Juliet, and this was the music, mm-hmm. right? Or I think there was a TV commercial when they have the big soaring theme of two. 
people yeah. running across the field and embracing, right? So, you know, the thing about Romeo and Juliet and, and I, you know, with Tchaikovsky is um, when Tchaikovsky's writing music, there's a, there's a big conflict going on about Russian nationalism, right? And there's the Mighty Five, uh, Balakirev, I always mispronounce his name, Balakirev, um, Kui, uh, Rimsikorskov, Mussorgsky, and Borodin. I think that's right. I'm pretty sure. I'm 95% sure that's right. And so they were like big Russian nationalists. Like, we need to get away from Western influence. That's bad. Um, and we need to, you know, only do, you know, stuff from Russia. Um, but Tchaikovsky's music is actually quite cosmopolitan. So he, he had a different approach to this. But Balakirev is the one that told him, you should set Romeo and Juliet. Okay, that's helpful. Balakirev sent him a theme or two. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Balakirev sent him the structure and the key centers. <laughs> That's pretty helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds and, like he was thinking, you know, I'd really like to do this, but I've got a reputation to maintain, so right. you do it. But I mean, I've got he all suggested these ideas. <laughs> the overture, and he explained the literary analysis, and the themes, and the harmonic development, and the orchestration. <laughs> now, Tchaikovsky was only 29, and he took the advice to heart, you know, and, and so it, it, there's... It's interesting because it's it's really a collaboration. Probably it's probably more a mentor, mm. right, and a student kind of thing. But like everybody's listening right now, going, "Who's Balakirev?" Right? Nobody. When we think of Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, do we think of Balakirev? No, we think of cheesy movies, right, and yeah. other things. Um, so, but he he um, uh, came around to the idea, and he wrote. A, obviously, there's lots of letters to, between the two of them, and he said that it will be my most monumental work, and I think. That's, I mean, it's up there. Yeah, Sixth Symphony in 1812. Yeah, certainly then, probably. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me absurd that I could not see earlier that I was predestined, as it were, to set this drama to music. And then he stressed to Balakirev, the layout is yours, the introduction portraying the friar, the fight, the allegro, the second subject, and the secondly, the modulations are yours. <laughs> also the introduction. <laughs> um, but he gets credit. That's a it's a whole weird thing, isn't that weird? It is. I mean, it's almost like you know, there's the there's you know, especially in business law, you see these like idea guys versus execute where it's like right, right, right. I've got this great idea, but, but I can't, I can't do it. it. But it's like I he almost like saw this yeah. greatness of like this is a great idea, but I know I'm not good enough to execute it. Almost well, and that's of. actually a pretty valid point because you know a lot of the Russians were were. You know, Renaissance. I mean, he they dabbled in other areas and they had different strengths. So that might have been part of what Balakirev was thinking, um, or maybe he just wanted a vehicle for for this person he was mentoring to have that you know shot. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are contra- two contrasting main themes, Romy, you know, Capulets and Montagues, and all that. So you know, it it is you know amazingly uh famous and and well done but you know uh, as i'm always amazed um well again this is the fir- this is the first time i've conducted it and i've been doing this for a while so that's that's interesting mm. um but i've had several players in the orchestra say like oh you know i haven't i've yet to do this you know we haven't done it before no not in northland Mm-mm. not even have we done like the theme in something else maybe like, in youth orchestra ugh, man but, but that's felt like we'd done it before. Maybe, yeah. Again, maybe it's just that ubiquitous. That yeah, I think every, everyone that. thinks they've done it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the case. Um, so then, um, I mean, that's, I mean, gosh, I mean, think about that lineup, right? Verdi, uh, Neil's God, Romantic Period, 
uh, Dvorak and then Tchaikovsky. So yeah. Tchaikovsky comes after intermission. We're gonna we're gonna need a breather after the first three. Um, we're gonna have to you know eat our. Right. Need, the music is as heavy as the themes yeah. they represent. We're gonna need to carve up um, and get ready for the second half, and then we'll we'll pour everything into Romeo and Juliet. And then we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Um, well, and we're going to move to one of the comedies, Much Ado About Nothing. Um, and this is actually by Eric Korngold. And generally when we think about Eric Korngold, like the first thing I think of is movie music, right? He, he, uh, he did like the first Robin Hood. He did uh, the Seahawk and very well known. He's, he's that, he was in that group of composers who came over from Europe in the 1930s as things aren't going well for uh, Jewish composers and people are leaving Europe because of the buildup to World War II. And then they, they so they've been trained to write romantic music, right? And then they find themselves in Los Angeles, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, even if you think about like Gone with the Wind or some of those famous film scores, they just sound like romantic period music, right? I mean, you know, yeah, you know, you, um, you have, you know, the, uh, Korngold didn't do uh, uh, Gone with the Wind. I think it was uh, Max Steiner, but, you know, you have romantic period European music now being the perfect depiction of the American South, right? You know, like it's just kind of an odd thing. So, Korngold, but I've learned, I've, again, preparing the story, I learned a lot about Korngold that I didn't know. His father was a music critic, and um, music came pretty naturally to him. And in 1906, um, Korngold's father convinced Gustav Mahler, at the time, amazing conductor, composer, to do an assessment on his nine-year-old boy. And so, um, Korngold played uh, a cantata that he'd written at age nine at the piano for Mahler. And Mahler said, he is a genius. And like recommended that he be put into the composition, to study composition with Alexander von Zlemlinski, another leading person at the time. I mean, this is like unheard of, right? This is crazy, right? I mean, you're nine year old, you have, you're connected to the, a world famous conductor composer, come on over and listen to my <laughs> nine year old play a cantata that he wrote, you know, for fun as a nine year old would do yeah. and, and play the piano. So. Um, what I what I appreciate about this is that I didn't I didn't appreciate what um, a non film music start he had right. So he had amazing success as a young up and coming musician, and like um, the Vienna Court Opera plays his early ballet. He studies or he has his piano sonata number two performed by Arthur Schnabel. Um, but I think even more amazing. So now composers like were awed by this young uh, guy, Ricard Strauss, Puccini, Sibelius, um, all described him as like this amazing prod prodigy coming up composer. By, <laughs> by the time he was 20, so this will make us all feel bad, right? By the time he was 20, his orchestral works had been played by at the Gavond House Orchestra, again, kind of another loop back to Mendelssohn, with, this isn't going to mean anything but to anybody but me, but I'm going to say it, Arthur Nikisch conducting. And Arthur Nikisch is like the first like the father of the conducting world, really. And the Vienna Philharmonic with Weingartner conducting and the Munich Court Theater with Bruno Walter conducting by, he, by the time he's 20. I mean, there's like, that's like the three titans of conductors at this time. Back when conductors, you know, could fire people on the spot and yell at people and all that stuff. So, so he had this really great strength. And then he, um, uh, in 1934, um, a, a theater director invited him to come to Hollywood um, and compose a soundtrack for his film adaptation of Not Much Ado About Nothing but A Midsummer Night's Dream. And so it was perfect timing. He comes to Hollywood um, being Jewish, 
decided maybe he shouldn't go back to Austria. <laughs> um, and then he stayed here. So um, the same guy, Reinhardt, asked him then to score um, Much Ado About Nothing. And it was actually, um, it was a play, not a film. And so we're going to do one of the movements from Much Ado About Nothing by Eric Korngold. Um, all of the movements are wonderful. There's a wonderful five movement set, but we're going to do this intermezzo. And this intermezzo is so gorgeous. Like there's a version for violin and piano and cello piano. I mean, it's, but we're going to do the, the and it's, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be like the palate cleanser, right? Like after all of this heavy stuff, it is charming and it's, it's the garden scene and it's just, it's going to make you smile. Yeah. None of this betrayal and tragedy <laughs> and, and death and suicide and murder. We're just going to, it's just going to be love. Yeah. And it's going to be beautiful. The right kind of the love. The right kind of love. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we're going to transition to Mendelssohn's Wedding March. We're going to end the program with Mendelssohn's Wedding March from A Midsummer Night's Dream. All of you know this march. Most, Some of you may have actually had it in your wedding because it is the number one recessional for traditional yeah. weddings. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, Mendelssohn, who's German... Um, uh, does such a great job at really um, creating the English character, right, for this wedding march. And so, um, you know, Men the the how Mendelssohn experienced the British was through studying Shakespeare plays. So I'm not sure that's necessarily <laughs> the right way to do it. Is so it like a European experience yeah, so, in the America yeah, through, like, yeah. Texas? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so he, like, he read German tran German translations of Shakespeare. Um, and and, and his, his family, they'd act him out. Hmm. Like, you know, sister, I mean, can you imagine, can, okay, I, can you imagine, since I know your family, can you imagine you, your dad, your mom, your sister, and your brother, you know, just read, acting out Macbeth for fun one night? <laughs> not, not particularly, no. 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 <laughs> but, you know, different time, entertainment yeah. works as different things, and so um, he became a big admirer of um, uh, uh, Shakespeare, and um, uh, he... The King of Prussia also was a big fan of Shakespeare, and Mendelssohn met him. And so the king demanded that he write... So the, the King of Prussia tells Mendelssohn, you need to write incidental music for four plays of Shakespeare. The Tempest and A Midsummer's Night's Dream and a couple others. You know, just knock that out. Yeah. Um, well, he, he does A Midsummer's Night's Dream, and he does some instrumental music for that. Um, and most popular of all was the wedding march that, that we're going to play that sets the scene. So in, the, in Midsummer Night's Dream, it's the marriage between the Duke of Athens and the Queen of the Amazon have married and everybody assembles and it's great. But the reason why it is with us today, why this single, never married, German man has perfectly encompassed, you know, British love or whatever, is um, in 1858... In London, the march was used for the real-life wedding of an English and a German. Queen Victoria's eldest child was married to the crown prince, the crown prince of Prussia. So, once they, once the queen, once they, once the royal family did that, so that, so the the princess royal, why are the royals so confusing? Um, ultimately becomes Frederick III. Okay, so, oh, okay, so. But um, the, or, the organist performed that march. And so, to this day, the wedding march from Midsummer Night's Dream is the most often heard at 
at weddings. So yeah, once the royals usually once they do it, pick yeah. up. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's right. So you know that's what we're gonna do. Um, so we'll uh, you know we'll end we'll end with a bang. So we'll end with a, a good uh, you know very well end happy. Yeah. We'll we'll have we'll have the corn gold intermezzo, which is like oh the sweetness of love and everything, and then we'll do the wedding march and right. Put a put a and that'll be it. Well, I'm excited. I mean, we've we've already been rehearsing. It's been yep. it sounded good. It's, yep. it's it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, if I were to plan a concert after 17 months <laughs> of not rehearsing an orchestra, this would not be it. <laughs> but they're doing a great job. They 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 came back like gangbusters, and you know, we have not had any problems with the with the heaviness of the program. Um, now, as far as uh, you know, making sure that you're informed with everything that's going on, um, we you know we will follow all of the policies of our venues and so for a concert this concert october 17th at north Kansas city high school 3 p.m the audience will need to wear masks um and so it is a universal mandate i believe as far as yes i don't believe they have any age limits Ooh, that's a, i don't know check your email yeah we'll have that. it we'll have we'll it for that. sure on the email whatever um, the the district policy yeah but is. i think it's you know it's either I, universal or it's five and up. yeah i think i think yeah. that's right yeah. um but we are also going to stream the concert on facebook live uh so that's another option for you to experience the program um so you, you know join us one way or the other and um you know and uh, we'll do it and it's gonna it's gonna be great and Everybody's back. Everybody's ba- happy to be back playing. Um, I mean, it was just so great to have everybody back in rehearsal. Um, and, you know, so it's going to be a great, great kickoff to season number 55. Crazy times we live in. Yes. So, all right. That's all I got. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be back next time for something, I'm sure. And Yeah, uh, something. A concert cast or something. Yeah, we'll, well, we don't, yeah, we don't do normally concert. do that for the holiday Yeah, concert. but we'll do something. We'll do something for oh, before no. the end of what the What are year. we going to do? Uh, we we'll come up yet. with something, but it yeah. will be entertaining. Well, that's debatable. Right. <laughs> Jim and John, sing your favorite holiday songs. No. No. Uh, we have, well, yeah, pay us to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Donate. To make it stop. Uh, that would be the best fundraiser you've ever done. Yeah. October 17th, 3 o'clock, North Kansas City High High School. Can't wait to see it. Thanks, everyone.